0: All this to say, there is no optimistic version of the future in which humanity does not use significantly more energy than it does today. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible, your free audio-based PhD in Bitcoin studies. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Hey, Roxy. How are you doing, girl? Hey, coming in to check on daddy. Um, uh, we have a great piece today uh, from first-time authors on the show, actually. Bitcoin mining and the case for more energy. I do not remember who recommended this to me, but thank you, whoever it was. Really, really great piece. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything, though. I just want to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, Real quick, thank you to Swan Bitcoin for the simplest Bitcoin savings plan out there. I have done so much smash buying during this dip and uh, adding to my weekly stack. Uh, in this, you know, last little bear period we've had. It's absolutely insane. Swan makes it so simple. Use my referral link by adding a forward slash guy on the end of it, and you get $10 free just for signing up. And where do I withdraw all of those fresh sats to? That's right, my Bitbox hardware wallet. Open source, simple, and really quick to break out real fast and use. It's a no-brainer for key storage. Coupon code GUI, it'll get you 5% off at shiftcrypto.ch. With that, let's go ahead and get into today's amazing read on energy, humanity, and Bitcoin. And it's titled, Bitcoin Mining and the Case for More Energy by Hodlin Caulfield and Celine Lindstrom. Much ink has been spilt on the topic of Bitcoin's energy consumption. Many have condemned Bitcoin's growing use of energy, and in response, many others have sought to justify it. The war wages on, atop the battlegrounds of Twitter timelines, medium pages, and major news outlets. But much of this discourse fails to fully address the concept of energy itself. Energy is quite literally the foundation of existence. In the words of Robert Lindsay, quote, No other concept has so unified our understanding of experience. But energy is also a very subtle concept, so our intuitions on the topic often lead us astray. The goal of this essay is not to defend Bitcoin's social benefit. We take for granted that a sound money free from bureaucratic debasement has value independent of the speculation money laundering, and nefarious activities it is often accused of enabling. The goal of this essay is to outline our view of the future of energy, Bitcoin mining, and how these two currents will converge. We conclude that this convergence will catalyze an energy revolution that has the potential to usher in a period of unprecedented prosperity. But first, we will lay the groundwork with some energy fundamentals. Energy, the foundations. Energy is the only universal currency. Vaslav Shmiel, energy and civilization. Earlier, we stated that energy is the foundation of existence. This is not hyperbole. At the beginning of time, what some have called the Big Bang, our entire universe was a dense ball of energy. In the billions of years since, the significance of energy has not diminished. Even today, all matter contains energy. This insight lies at the heart of Einstein's famous equation, E equals mc squared. But energy takes many other forms as well. The movement of your hand, kinetic energy. The calories in the food you eat, chemical energy. The light from the sun, electromagnetic energy. The heat from the kettle, thermal energy. And the list goes on. But the underlying concept is the same. Energy is the ability to do work, regardless of the type of work involved. But not all energy is created equal. The first two laws of thermodynamics tell us that while energy is conserved, it flows towards equilibrium. A hot body, high energy, connected to a cold one, low energy, will eventually give off its heat until the two are the same temperature, equilibrium. And in this approach towards equilibrium, Order is lost. As waste heat is created, entropy increases. Entropy tells us how the energy of a system is distributed among its parts. Over meaningful time horizons, the entropy of any system will increase. To reduce entropy within some part of the system, entropy must be increased elsewhere. States of order and complexity are lower entropy than states of disorder. The creation and preservation of structure requires a decrease in entropy locally, resulting in an increase in entropy elsewhere. Though entropy is often viewed negatively, life itself depends on it. Life compresses energy into low entropy states and pays for it by emitting energy with much higher entropy elsewhere. You ingest resources from the environment, air food, and water, to preserve your internal order and create structure, amino acids, tissues, etc. And in doing so, you increase entropy in your immediate surroundings. When considering energy, there are other factors beyond entropy that are relevant as well, density and efficiency in particular. Some forms of energy are more dense than others, Likewise, extracting energy from some low-entropy sources is more efficient than others. This holds true in physics as well as economics. This inequality between various forms of energy is all the more pronounced in practice. Heat is considered waste in many industrial processes, entropy in its most literal sense. Other ambient, low-density forms of energy may be abundant on Earth but are quite hard to utilize. Today, it would seem foolish to burn grass for energy on an industrial scale. Meanwhile, humans scour the planet for rare minerals to build expensive batteries in hopes they might offer us a few hours of densely packed energy when we need it most. It is not just energy that we care about, but energetic order. We want our energy in a distilled form. We want energy that is easy to command and transport wherever we need it. And we want energy that can be used for anything. Quote, It is energetic order that's scarce and the order in energy that's expensive. Peter Huber and Mark Mills, Bottomless Well. The story of our energy consumption is really the story of humanity's Sisyphean effort to create and preserve order harnessing ever-greater amounts of energy to support life by reducing entropy locally and shedding more entropy elsewhere. In this light, the terms energy production or, quote, generation are misleading. The energy is conserved, but its order is not. The energy is distilled so that it can be more functional, more concentrated, and more easily controlled. A watt that can be delivered on demand through a tiny wire is far more valuable than a watt of organic matter or ambient heat. Power plants do not create energy. They merely convert it into a useful form. Thus, our energy footprint is determined by our ability to facilitate these conversions, limited only by the laws of physics, current technology, and economic realities. And a massive portion of this footprint is used to distill energy into its most fungible form, electricity. The age of the electron. Electricity is the most distilled form of energy. It is highly dense. Electricity allows for a single transmission line to carry enough energy to power a small country. It is also highly versatile. Electricity can power cars, household appliances, many industrial processes, and perhaps, most notably, the entire apparatus of information technology that's allowing you to read these words. In terms of energetic order, electricity is king. For this reason, technology continues to select for electricity as its primary source of energy. As this trend continues, our economy is becoming increasingly dependent on this form of energy. Various climate change policies are only accelerating this electrification. Developed nations take ubiquitous electricity for granted. Meanwhile, intermittent power can be one of the biggest burdens for developing nations to overcome in their quest for economic growth. But electricity is a particularly tricky commodity to depend on. Electricity is a distinctly local phenomenon. If there are no transmission wires, it is trapped at the site of generation. This is fundamentally different from the fossil fuels that powered the last 250 years of global industrial growth, which can be extracted around the world, stored cheaply, and transported wherever there is demand. But we don't care. Our demand for electricity is fickle. When we plug our phone charger into an outlet, we demand it be met with fresh electrons. Unfortunately, however, the supply of electricity is constrained. It takes time to build out new power generation projects and complete the requisite regulatory processes. It also takes money, as electrical generation and transmission infrastructure requires substantial capex. So potential electricity supply is relatively fixed in the short term. Yet despite the fickle supply and demand, the electrical grid must be balanced. Grids are effectively massive circuits, so if supply does not match demand, the consequent variations in voltage and frequency can cause blackouts. Phrased differently, unlike every other commodity, electricity must be consumed as it's produced. Fortunately, at scale, much of the short-term fluctuations in demand cancel each other out, but the balance is still actively managed by grid operators who dispatch different generation sources, storage mechanisms, and curtailment programs to achieve this outcome. One of the more common methods is load following, with flexible generation sources like natural gas scaling up and down to meet the variable electricity demand, or, even if demand is constant, to balance the intermittent generation of solar and wind resources. This is all to say that it is expensive and difficult to reliably purify energy into electricity, and civilization as we know it depends on those precious electrons. But this hasn't always been the case. The case for more energy Man's default state is abject poverty. The natural world is not a hospitable place for humans. Our environment is neither stable nor safe for us unless we transform it. The livability of the planet for the average human depends on our ability as a species to develop the environment into resources that protect, nourish, and sustain us. For most of history, we have been limited to using human and animal labor to do so. Indeed, humanity's crowning achievements and the comforts of the modern world Extended life expectancy, resource abundance, and material wealth are enabled in large part by a discovery made in the last roughly 250 years, one which unlocked another source of labor beyond mere humans and animals, machines. Machines can amplify existing human productivity. The printing press produced a step-function increase in the volume of information that could be copied to paper per unit of time, or enable new capabilities altogether. MRIs and other medical imaging technologies provide views into internal organs that no amount of human labor alone could. But machines don't power themselves. The cheaper and more abundant the fuel for our machines, the more machine labor we have at our disposal to improve our living standards. Consider, for example, the technological progress and quality-of-life gains made in the centuries following the Industrial Revolution, the period in history during which man discovered that fossil fuels could be used to cost-effectively power machines. Today, based on the average American's daily energy consumption, a single individual has the equivalent of nearly 600 humans working at his behest, and without violating any human rights. For most of human history, each individual's productivity was limited to what he could achieve with his own two hands. Today, we have freed ourselves from that particular constraint, but consequently, we are more dependent on machine labor than ever. This reality was laid bare in the power crisis that befell Texas in February, during which winter storms caused power outages that triggered food and water shortages, critical infrastructure failure, and dozens of fatalities. A few days without energy to power our machines can be a stark reminder of just how fragile modern civilization is. But we will need yet more energy in the future. In a way, energy is the meta-problem. The most difficult challenges we face as a species become soluble only by converting greater amounts of energy into more highly-ordered forms. The cost of transportation becomes trivial. Food preservation through refrigeration can be delivered to every country in the world. The cost of desalinization and other water purification processes is vastly reduced, allowing us to solve the water crisis and its downstream health effects. Our global capacity for computation is hindered only by access to silicon, a problem which is itself tractable with more energy. And without these watts, we will struggle to find alternative solutions. Quote, It is by mastering power itself, the capture and release of energy, that societies master everything else. Peter Huber and Mark Mills, Bottomless Well. Of course, the unfortunate flip side of this coin is the grim reality that less energy production exacerbates existing problems and creates new ones. It means fewer resources to sustain life, less food, fewer economic opportunities, and higher cost of living. On a long enough time scale, it leads to civilizational decline and all the human suffering that attends it, an acute manifestation of disorder. From a humanist perspective, less energy is never the solution. A common objection to this brand of energy maximalism is that efficiency improvements can and should obviate the need for more energy. Why can't we just do more with less? The short answer is, because we never do. Javon's paradox holds that gains in efficiency with which a resource is used only lead to increased demand for that resource. More efficient automobiles lead to more driving, not less gasoline. In the case of energy, more efficient generation technologies serve to increase energy consumption rather than curb it. Energy begets more energy. Much of the energy we consume today is in the service of discovering, extracting, and developing more energy resources for tomorrow. All this to say... There is no optimistic version of the future in which humanity does not use significantly more energy than it does today. To the extent we discover new, cheaper ways to energize machines, human quality of life will improve as we gain ever more mastery over our physical surroundings. This process need not be limited to the environment on planet Earth. Given access to energy that is sufficiently affordable and abundant, Humanity could use machines to transform the environments of other planets to support human life. This is a vision that animates us, and one we believe is worthy of vigorous pursuit. Money and energy. Money is energy. Bitcoin is the first crypto-monetary energy network capable of collecting all the world's liquid energy, storing it over time without power loss, and channeling it across space with negligible impedance. Michael Saylor Money allows one to command resources. If energy is the capacity to do work, then the ability to command resources is itself a form of potential energy. Indeed, money and energy have always been linked. In his seminal essay, Shelling Out, Nick Zabo identifies, quote, "...unforgeable costliness as an essential property of various proto-monies throughout history. Throughout the ages, the likelihood of a good being used as a means to facilitate wealth transfers has been in part a function of the difficulty with which one could produce or obtain additional units of said good. That is, to be selected as a money on the free market a good must be costly to produce in terms of time or energy. Wampum, or clamshells, carried value among inland Native Americans in the 17th century largely because one could only collect them near ocean shores, requiring considerable exertion to travel to the coast and back. Rhystones were large, disc-like rocks that were for centuries used as a primitive form of money, by the inhabitants of the Yap Islands in Micronesia. Weighing as much as four tons, stones were not native to the Yap Islands. Importing additional stones necessitated great expenditure of energy. And, of course, the commodity monies of more recent history, gold foremost among them, all entail energy-intensive production processes owing to their lack of abundance in the Earth's crust. Luminaries, including Henry Ford, Thomas Edison and Buckminster Fuller have at various points championed the idea of a currency literally backed by energy, though we remain skeptical of the wisdom and practicability of such proposals. Even the U.S. dollar, a fiat currency whose marginal cost of production approaches zero, is in some sense, quote, backed by energy today. For decades, the world's largest producer of oil has agreed to settle all of its sales in U.S. dollars in exchange for U.S. military protection, an arrangement that has come to be known as the petrodollar system. In Bitcoin, Satoshi made the relationship between energy and money explicit. Bitcoin's proof of work is a synthetic recreation of Zalbo's unforgeable costliness. New Bitcoins are issued to miners who provably consume energy. To this day, proof of work remains the only way we know how to verify in a digital system that energy has been expended in the meat space. Recently, Michael Saylor has popularized the notion of money as a technology for transporting energy across space and time. We agree with his assessment of Bitcoin as, quote, the most efficient energy market in the history of the world. As Saylor put it, quote, the challenge of humanity is How do I store and transmit energy across time and space and domain? With its fixed supply and digital nature, Bitcoin does not suffer from the same transmission losses that plague the monetary energy networks of old. Storing one's monetary energy in gold involves significant carrying costs and leakage in the form of transaction costs. Should one ever seek to transmit that energy across space, And while the U.S. dollar and other fiat currencies improve on gold's salability across space, they perform poorly as a vessel for transporting monetary energy across time. Enter Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin can be understood as a distributed machine that automates the issuance of scarce monetary units and the settlement of financial transactions. The system achieves these ends by demanding that certain network participants, namely miners, provably consume electricity, which allows the network to order transactions and assure final settlement in the absence of a trusted third party. Perhaps more profoundly, this proof of work creates a connection between the physical and digital worlds that cannot be falsified. The nonce used to create a valid block is the residue of a physical process which must consume energy. Like other machines, Bitcoin is a productivity-enhancing technology. In the centuries to come, Satoshi's invention will save incalculable human time in two ways. First and foremost, Bitcoin offers savers protection against large-scale time theft perpetrated by central bankers and their inflationary monetary regimes. Second, Bitcoin liberates resources that otherwise would be spent In the primitive practice of actively managing the money supply, much in the same way other technological advancements throughout history have allowed us to discard mundane tasks in favor of more productive pursuits. You will seldom encounter someone scrubbing clothes by hand in a home with a washing machine. To fully understand its relation to the energy sector, we must first grasp the economics of Bitcoin mining. At its most fundamental level, Bitcoin mining requires nothing more than specialized hardware, electricity, and an internet connection. It can be done anywhere in the world at any time of day. Miners' revenues are unknown, but their costs are usually fixed, and the primary cost is energy. This incentivizes Bitcoin miners to find the cheapest power possible, and they scour the earth to do so. As a result, miners typically use power that would otherwise be wasted or, as coined by Nick Carter, non-rival energy. Phrased differently, Bitcoin mining is a permissionless energy sink. Anyone anywhere in the world can generate revenue by plugging mining machines into an electricity source. This sink is also highly flexible with respect to both time and space. Bitcoin miners can turn their machines on and off without any obligations to customers and can operate in almost any physical envelope. For the energy sector, Bitcoin mining provides a constant demand for energy and a revenue floor, allowing us to monetize energy that would otherwise go to waste. Energetic order is such a precious resource it would be a shame to let it go unused. Quote, Do not waste any energy. Make it useful. Wilhelm Oswald, Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1909 We already see this taking place in the wild, with Bitcoin miners helping to balance the intermittent electricity supply of renewables or capturing natural gas that would otherwise be vented or flared. But even more than just utilizing existing wasted energy resources— Bitcoin mining will incentivize new generation far in excess of our current capabilities. The Future of Energy and Bitcoin Mining Bitcoin mining directly incentivizes new and more efficient forms of energy generation by offering a bounty to anyone, anywhere, at any time who finds a cheaper way to produce energy at scale. This direct financial incentive for more efficient generation and the newfound viability of previously uneconomical sources of energy will cause a general decline in the price of energy worldwide. We may well see Bitcoin mining operations bootstrap new human settlements into existence. Whereas in the past, generation was only economically viable in locales that were relatively close to the ultimate site of consumption, i.e. population centers, Bitcoin mining allows us to develop power generation infrastructure in remote, energy-rich locations and monetize it via the Bitcoin network. After recovering the initial capital cost, the mining profits can be used to fund additional infrastructure build-out to support residential or commercial human settlements that will benefit from the cheap, abundant energy resources. Economic incentives will impel Bitcoin mining to completely saturate the energy sector in the coming decades. The gradual convergence of these two sectors has already begun and will continue from both directions. Energy producers will monetize surplus power that would otherwise be sold at low or negative rates to the grid, or wasted altogether, by selling it to the Bitcoin network. And Bitcoin miners will vertically integrate, owning their own power generation and infrastructure to improve their margins and thereby their competitiveness. It stands to reason, then, that in the future, the most efficient miners will also be energy producers. At what point will we reach full saturation? Dhruv Bonsal of Unchained Capital submits his theoretical Nakamoto conjecture as a plausible answer to this question. Bonsal predicts an equilibrium at which the marginal revenue earned from mining Bitcoin equals the marginal revenue earned from selling power to the electrical grid. Mining beyond this threshold would be economically irrational for energy producers, since selling power to the grid would be more lucrative. Below this threshold, there remains an economic incentive for producers to continue mining. Thus, Bitcoin's energy consumption as a share of global energy production will continue to increase as market participants arbitrage this difference. Bonsall refers to this share as the Nakamoto Ratio, the fraction of global energy production that is dedicated to securing the monetary base. The optimal value for this ratio is open for debate, but Bonsall hypothesizes that once we reach this saturation point, when marginal revenue from mining equals marginal revenue from selling power to the grid, the Nakamoto Ratio will stabilize, marking the go-forward share of global energy that is used to secure the money supply. But we are nowhere near this saturation point today. Bitcoin's energy consumption could grow by a factor of 100 before representing an appreciable fraction of global energy consumption. And revenues from Bitcoin mining continue to far exceed those earned by traditional energy producers. Miners using latest generation equipment today earn approximately 50 cent per kilowatt hour, Versus an average household cost of electricity in the US of 13 cents per kilowatt hour. This figure includes transmission and distribution charges, so the wholesale revenue earned by power producers is likely considerably lower. What does this mean for humanity? We foresee a new energy revolution. The future is nuclear. We believe Bitcoin mining will help rekindle the lost dream of nuclear energy, which today remains humanity's most promising option for cheap, abundant, clean, safe power. This is because Bitcoin mining fundamentally changes the economics of nuclear power. Nuclear power plants are expensive to build relative to other forms of electricity generation, suffering from high upfront capital costs and long lead times. As a result, expected payback periods for nuclear projects are measured in decades, meaning returns are highly sensitive to the cost of capital. In developed economies, uncertainty around future demand growth and heightened competition from other generation sources have injected further risk into the proposition of financing nuclear energy. Meanwhile, a global trend toward market liberalization has shifted the burden of financing new nuclear projects from the public sector the more returns-sensitive private sector. In sum, new nuclear power plants will not be built unless the expected returns justify the risk, a hurdle made more difficult by considerable regulatory and policy-related obstacles. Here too, Bitcoin mining offers a path forward. In the future, behind-the-meter Bitcoin mining operations will serve as a captive customer for new nuclear power projects, providing stable, predictable demand for electricity. This captive demand will shorten payback periods and make underwriting new nuclear projects less risky for potential investors, reducing their cost of capital and leading to more nuclear generation. This, in turn, will increase both electricity supply and competition among producers, driving down electricity prices to the benefit of consumers. Nuclear power plants typically function as a baseload source of power as they are slower to ramp up and down generation than other energy resources. As a flexible load, Bitcoin mining operations can increase or decrease power consumption on short notice, providing demand-response services. This would allow nuclear energy to absorb a larger share of any grid's generation portfolio thereby reducing the need for costly supplementary peaker plants. Indeed, at sufficient scale, Bitcoin mining could invert the grid entirely. Today, load-following energy sources vary their supply output in response to changes in demand to balance the grid. However, with Bitcoin mining, generation can remain at peak levels. With miners soaking up any excess, and temporarily curtailing their power consumption during peak hours. But perhaps more importantly, Bitcoin mining will incentivize new advancements in nuclear energy technology. For decades, nuclear fusion has been, quote, 30 years from commercial deployment. Perhaps Bitcoin mining will offer the financial incentive to finally unlock another piece of Einstein's famous equation serving as a sink for the excess energy while we as a species grow into its power. After all, if we had discovered a technology capable of providing terawatts of power generation 50 years ago, what would we have done with that energy? Conclusion Life is order. We fight to survive, to preserve and perpetuate this precious instance of complexity we call humanity. Energy is our primary resource in this undertaking, and entropy is the inevitable byproduct. We transform energy outside of our bodies to sustain order within, and we pay for this by shedding disorder elsewhere. We are soldiers of the second law of thermodynamics, struggling to protect the order of life and create structure within our world, emitting entropy as exhaust as we progress in this pursuit. Looking back on the course of human history, civilization has advanced as we have mastered these transformations, developing better methods of harnessing more energy. At the dawn of our species, we were condemned to compete in unfriendly nature, using only the energy of our own bodies. We then graduated to harnessing agriculture and animal labor to channel more energy and develop the first civilizations. Over time, the trend continued capturing the natural power of wind for maritime travel and trade, transforming the flow of streams and rivers to refine our food supply, and eventually extracting hydrocarbons to power the machines that ignited the Industrial Revolution. Humanity has ceaselessly pursued more efficient ways to harness and utilize more energy. At a civilizational scale, advances in energy generation have yielded substantial economic growth, freeing us to lift our heads toward the sky and our minds toward the future. If we hope to advance further as a species, we must continue our quest to harness ever more energy and to do so ever more efficiently. If we hope to overcome the crises we face today, we will need to develop and implement better energy technologies. And if we hope to someday become an interplanetary civilization, we will require far more energy than we use today. Quote, it is not too much to expect that our children will enjoy in their homes electrical energy too cheap to meter, will know of great periodic regional famines in the world only as matters of history, will travel effortlessly over the seas and under them and through the air with a minimum of danger and at great speeds, and will experience a lifespan far longer than ours as disease yields and man comes to understand what causes him to age. Lewis Strauss, Chairman of the United States Atomic Energy Commission, 1954 In Bitcoin we have, for the first time in human history, a technology that directly financially incentivizes the discovery of cheaper ways to harness energy, one which cares not about geographic location consumer demand, or other historical hindrances to energy generation. Accordingly, we believe the emergence of Bitcoin mining will galvanize the greatest revolution in energy production since fossil fuels and the Industrial Revolution. It holds the potential to drive humanity up the Kardashev scale, incentivizing us to master the energy resources of our planet and beyond. Quote, Money doesn't just scale in response to society's energy usage, it causes it. Dhruv Bonsal, Bitcoin Astronomy Part 2 The ensuing advances in energy technology will dramatically improve our ability to cheaply power the machines we use to survive and prosper, extending the reach of our species to worlds beyond our own. They will enrich lives and relieve suffering at an immeasurable scale. A prospect that friends of humanity ought to celebrate rather than scorn. Alright, before we get into Guy's Take, we need to know how to protect ourselves as we move into this future. A secure way to know that we own our keys and no one else does is the Bitbox hardware wallet. It is a great solution specifically, in my opinion, for those who are new to the space and, of course, veterans who want something that's simple and straightforward. I mean, I consider myself a veteran and I use it all the time. But the one thing we do not want, particularly in volatile times, is to be beholden to someone else. That's the whole purpose of Bitcoin. And for those who want an easy way to truly own your Bitcoin and withdraw to your wallet, the BitBox is just a great way to make that leap. Simple setup, easy to use, devices open source, built by Bitcoin devs. And you know because they love the audio knots so much, if you just tell them Guy sent you, they give you a discount. It's a win-win, win-win scenario. It literally can't get any better than that. It's so many wins, it might cause a paradox. So check out guyswan.com slash BitBox, uh, and you can see all the other security and backup goodies they have to offer and honestly, congratulations to anyone who's recently taken the responsibility and begun holding their own keys. It truly is a big step and you should be proud. But for those who haven't yet and are looking for a good solution, check out the Bitbox O2. One of the things I love about this article is that it tackles the concept of energy and of human progress and the correlation, the connection Uh, or the relationship, I guess. It's not a correlation. It's a very strong relationship between that and human prosperity, between energy use and human prosperity. And that this this is the framing that needs to be taken and understood because there is something so deeply anti-human in the blanket dismissal or rejection of anything for the sake of it using energy. I genuinely think the demonization, the blanket demonization of the use of energy for human purposes is a horrible, horrible ideology. Um, I mean, borderline evil. To have absolutely no context whatsoever, or that any use of energy whatsoever... That isn't something that I specifically find important. If I'd fail to understand it, then I can basically hate and deride and shit on my fellow man for the very fact that they use energy. That is a profoundly anti-human ideology. That is a glorification of exactly that which will create the greatest amount of poverty. And a demonization of that exact thing that brings people out of poverty. The use of energy. If there is anything that I appreciate this article for, it is hitting that idea. Is that if this is the depth, if this is the amount of depth that I am even willing to give to the argument, I have already rejected any and all potential for progress. I'm someone who has taken a framing and an ideology that cannot be reasoned with. Energy consumption is not bad. The redirecting and controlling of our energy sources, which aka what we refer to as consumption, as they kind of explain in this in this article, all we are doing is repurposing, redirecting and utilizing energy in a very specific way to create order it is not only the very source of how we innovate and better ourselves as a species how we create prosperity and increase the standard of living for people it is also the only way we will ever come to a solution or to better and lower our externalities and the impact on the environment It will explicitly be in finding better sources of energy and expending even more energy to close the loop in the systems we use to sustain our species. The only way out of this, the only way out of this is to expend more energy more intelligently. That's it. There is no brighter future in which we use less energy per human. So if we are demonizing the fact that energy is being used to solve a problem because somebody somewhere doesn't understand what that problem is or why it needs to be solved, what we have done is we have backed ourselves in a corner where we must demonize all human progress itself. And I don't think that's like a frivolous, oh, somebody thinks that sort of thing. I think that is a very subtle and very foundational thing that a lot of people believe. And it leads them to hate and deride people around them it gives them an excuse this this fairy tale narrative that they are a waste on the world i think that's a really that's a really hateful and negative thing to believe you know seyfedine talks about this actually is that the process of innovation the beauty of human civilization is that we share ideas it and it's a numbers game we don't want fewer people we want more people because if one out of every 100 people can create an idea that saves 10 seconds, that makes us 2% more efficient, and then that idea can spread to the whole world, well, they've negated the impact or bettered the lives of 2,000 people, 3,000 people, a million people just by spreading that idea. So maybe there is a waste Maybe there is a supposed subjective loss for 99 of those people who do not contribute. But that one hundredth person, that one beautiful idea, that one powerful innovation undoes all the potentially negative impact of the other 99. And I think the ideologies that we hold definitely factor in in what level of cost or damage done by the average person. For, for example, I think holding that ideology that all energy use should be demonized is exactly the sort of thing that puts burdens, that puts barriers, that basically locks that 100th person in a box and makes the, the consequences and the damage done by the other 99 even worse. It's not, they're not even like a net neutral They are making it harder for the one person who actually can better the situation and demonizing them as the problem rather than realizing that they are the actual solution which actually slows down or even worse, could prevent the solution from actually being adopted. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent but I just think I think I think that ideology is incredibly poisonous. I think it's nothing but a net negative and the Climate change, like climate disaster hysteria, has created this, uh, this completely thoughtless, lack of nuance. The world is going to end, sort of scenario, which is the which is the normal state of things. Everybody, we just kind of go from one to the next. We've done it for, ever, (laughs) really, but it just loses all sense of rationality, and it just becomes a way to. It just becomes another reason to hate people. That's based in something so big and so vague, and so undefined, that it literally can't be argued with, and some of the statements around it are repeated, even though they are beyond absurd. It's really amazing that if it supports the proper narrative, or the proper political positioning, that the mainstream media, that just people in general will repeat something, that they don't even have the slightest due diligence. didn't even bother to analyze or think about what it means. And for anybody who does some back of the napkin math, just can see that it's one of the most profoundly obnoxious and ridiculous things to say. My, the example I'm thinking of right now is the that was re, uh, repeated on uh, John, not John Oliver, uh, uh, Mayor Bill Mayer, um, Bunch of mainstream news, as like I think it went to the New York Times and uh, maybe even like Reuters and stuff, bunch of different and this was spread and repeated in so many different places that Bitcoin alone, that because Bitcoin uses as much energy, quote unquote, as Switzerland, as the country of Switzerland, that it alone before 2030 could raise the temperature of the entire planet by two degrees Celsius. Now this is really hard to argue with somebody who would accept that without even trying to think about what that means. And I, with all due respect for anybody who believed that or thought that that was a legitimate concern, but that is one of the dumbest statements I have ever heard. And before I do need to talk, I do want to talk about this article, but I, Want to just do some real simple math to demonstrate why that's so absurd. And also understand I hold no- nothing against anyone who goes in with no framing for this and just believes some expert. I'm, you know, who knows how many PhDs the guy who started that rumor has. I'm sure he was a climate expert and had all these sorts of models, but nonetheless, None of those credentials or expertise change the fact that that is a profoundly idiotic statement. So why is that? First, we'll ignore that a huge amount of bitcoin's energy consumption is wasted energy, completely wasted energy, or it's highly renewable energy. We'll ignore that because that's not that's not part of the concern. we are We are not accepting the demonizing of any energy use. ...as a reasonable criticism. I do not believe it is. I completely reject that framing. So we'll we'll ignore that for now. And we'll ignore also... ...that most of what Bitcoin uses... ...is energy that was already created... ...and now no longer goes to waste. And even and as time goes on... ...that will become more and more true... ...because as the difficulty adjusts... ...and as the market reaches equilibrium price and more hash power comes online, Bitcoin at equilibrium will never actually be able to compete with the everyday use for energy. Only during significant price pumps, while there is huge transition in the mining market, does that margin actually make sense. Otherwise, not a single watt of electricity is taken from the average consumer in order to mine Bitcoin. Miners have to move to where energy is lost. Also, there is more power in just two hydro plants in Canada that gets thrown away. Literally, power that is created, that gets thrown in the garbage essentially, that equates to more than the entire Bitcoin network. So, if our framing is just some blanket, I'm going to te- check how many watts this thing is using, and this is how many degrees Celsius we're going to kill the planet by, then those two hydropower plants in Canada will raise the temperature of the planet by yet another 2 maybe 3 degrees before 2030 but ignoring all of that ignoring all of that and let's just assume that bitcoin mining is exactly the same makeup of energy use as all the other energy use it's just the median right it's some part coal some part fossil fuels some part m- nuclear and some part solar bitcoin's energy consumption is point 39 percent of the total energy production in the world. Roughly, obviously, we don't have explicit measurements of this. But 0.39%. Anybody who's trying to get ahead of me on the math should realize how hilariously stupid that 2 degrees Celsius, just Bitcoin, uh, statement really is. But that means that the other 99.61% of the world's energy consumption will produce 256 times as much heat as bitcoin if of course bitcoin doesn't actually have a disproportionate amount of renewables and wasted energy which it does it's actually got the best makeup energy makeup of any industry it's like complaining that the, the guy who won the race and he's faster than everybody else saying that he's too slow and making him apologize for being too slow but again we're ignoring that we're going to say blanket, it's all the same. All the other energy consumption will produce 256 times as much warming as Bitcoin does. Back to our example two degrees by 2030. Hold everything static and take that comment at face value or that prediction at face value. And that means by 2030, all of the energy production that we have in the world. Will raise the temperature by 512 degrees, which puts us at a whopping 57 degrees this year. So, roughly by the end of next month, the entire continental United States should be underwater. This prediction got repeated on Bill Mayer's show, in the Wall Street Journal, and tons of mainstream media outlets because it reinforces the ideology that energy use is bad and nobody cared whether or not it was true there is a stronger argument for the earth being flat anyway this came up again recently and it's been bugging the crap out of me so i had to talk about it now i actually want to talk about this awesome article you know i have not read anything before i don't believe i don't I believe I actually read an article, or at least if I have, I have missed it or forgotten about it. But Celine Lindstrom and uh, Hodlin Caulfield, I have links to their Twitter accounts and handles so that you can follow them up there. Uh, But this was just a really good piece. And I think this is the framing to take. You know, we should not be on the defensive about this. Like Bitcoin has nothing to apologize for. Bitcoin is solving one of the most pervasive and destructive problems that we have across society right now. And it is reinstituting fair money for anyone, anywhere in the world, that is open and permissionless. And it is securing that system from cheaters, money printing, manipulation, and political corruption, merely by expending energy. There is no net positive that comes close to the value produced above and beyond what it costs to keep Bitcoin safe. That is the highest value use case for energy anywhere. And one of the most amazing side effects of this, of the nature of Bitcoin's permanent and time-independent demand for energy is that it can actually solve so much of the actual nuanced energy problems we have in our infrastructure and in our grid. And this this statement, actually, from the article, I thought was such a great way to conceptualize this idea. So, quote, Yet despite the fickle supply and demand, and what they're referring to here is the fact that the supply of energy into the grid and the demand from consumers from the grid... Almost, almost never line up. There is a huge gap between when and where the energy is produced and when and where the energy is needed. So, again, despite the fickle supply and demand, the electrical grid must be balanced. Grids are effectively massive circuits. So if supply does not match demand, the consequent variations in voltage and frequency can cause blackouts. Phrased differently... Unlike every other commodity, electricity must be consumed as it's produced. This is such an important idea to understand about how our electrical grid and how our consumption and production of energy is so often misaligned. And this is so much worse with Uh, Renewable energies than it is with something that we can turn off and on freely like natural gas or oil And that's why I say and I've mentioned a number of times on the show thorium is the solution to all of this nuclear is the solution the the problem with nuclear in the past has been the the damage done by the fuel and The fact that you can't turn it off when you turn it on you start the process and there's nothing we can do about it That is no longer the case with nuclear energy but we have put up so many barriers and we have prevented so much innovation and actual infrastructure build out with nuclear because it's been demonized and because it's been, you know, relegated to the history books essentially. We're, the only nuclear power plants we have are essentially in either a state of being decommissioned or they're 30 or 40 years old and they don't even they can't even be updated. But thorium is a high capacity, high energy source that you could just cut off. It's not dangerous. It's incredibly low on the radiation scale and it is something that genuinely if anything ever goes wrong you, can, you have to activate thorium. It is not, not producing energy on its own. It has to be activated so if anything ever goes wrong it can basically just be deactivated. It's, it's, a, it's the nuclear equivalent of turning on a natural gas generator or turning it off etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Not to mention it's really easy to get a hold of. But anyway I'm getting sidetracked again. So, the grid, our energy, our systems of energy production and consumption is like a massive circuit. I love this idea because you understand if you like watch a circuit based on like when you want to turn on, you know, you want to turn on the switch and you want to produce energy somewhere uh, or send energy somewhere, you got to have the right capacitor and the right buffers and all these things to make sure that you don't overload the circuit. You know, the equivalent of plugging too much stuff in on a breaker on a particular run in your household and you'll flip the breaker off well that same thing happens in the reverse if you're producing too much energy to that breaker and you don't have people running devices on it well then you'll you'll burn it out so you have the same problem in both directions you can't pull too much energy from it and you can't put too much energy on it while it's not being used what you need is a load balancer And specifically something like renewables. We'll we'll ignore the fact that I think we should go nuclear right now. Irrelevant. Let's talk about like solar. Let's talk about wind and these other renewable um, energies that actually are being built out right now and are a more short-term stopgap to this. They are never going to work without some massive load balancer because they are explicitly the technologies and the energy production tools that have the greatest difference between when and where they are being produced and when and where they are being consumed. So the only way to actually be dependent on renewable is to be able to economically create renewable plants to create solar power production at like 10 times what we actually need to consume. Which means that... You know, by definition, in my my I'm just pulling that number out of my, my ass, but it's the general idea is that we need many, many multiples of solar power production just to be able to meet the load when consumers come online. But that means that just just using that number, it means that 90% of it is going to be completely unused. It is literally energy that we throw in the trash. It needs a massive load balancer to actually make that economical. It means we need a consumer of last resort, an energy buyer that is always there to take up every extra watt when customers aren't using it. That is exactly what Bitcoin is. And we have never had something that has those specific elements or characteristics that can actually use that much energy. They've even tried this with data servers and you know supercomputers and hosting and all this stuff but they still have the same problem because they can't cut those machines off when somebody wants to go to a website you know aws can't decide to just cut off a whole bunch of uh computers like a whole bunch of their server farm because it's a cloudy day and the solar output isn't as much and suddenly all these websites go down the internet isn't working everybody's going to be pissed and everybody who's buying their server is going to be like, what the hell's wrong with you? So even, even those things aren't immune to this problem, but Bitcoin mining is. You can cut it on and off. You can take off a load of gigawatts, terawatts of power and push it into Bitcoin mining way below market rates and you're still profitable. This is going to make those massive circuits, our electrical grids, so much more efficient, so much more balanced between the consumption and the production of the energy and those load balancers, those capacitors, which is essentially what Bitcoin acts as, can go exactly to where it's needed to consume that extra load while securing the money, while solving a completely different problem and maintaining the capital, the value, to then migrate or cover the difference when you're on the other when you're on the flip side of the problem. And it can do this at a capacity that batteries can't even come close to. So many people are just like, oh, we'll just use batteries. Not only are batteries horrific for the environment in a general sense, luckily battery technology is getting way, way better. But the mining and the process and the uh, output combining with the short lifespan of batteries Batteries are a horrible solution to this. This It's why it's not used. If it was economical to use batteries, we would already use batteries. And maybe, maybe as this continues to unfold, battery technology has moved forward and progressed at an incredible pace in the last 20 years. And it's mostly mobile technology that has pushed so much capital and innovation into the innovation in batteries. And they're way less toxic. They're way less of a problem. And they have far longer lifespans And, you know, in another 10 to 20 years, they may actually reach the point where they are a substantial part of the offload with Bitcoin, that they too are a part of the grid system and they are part of the capacitors and the buffers that make this grid, the circuit of our energy production system, that much more capable. But what's funny is it will explicitly be a productive consumption of energy it will still need to be done as a buffer on top of the batteries to make the batteries economical sooner than they otherwise would be. No matter which way you flip it, Bitcoin is a huge net positive to all of the innovation and production and build-out of all of these technologies and of making the, uh, making the energy grid uh, far more efficient. And it's an extension of that very thing, that the very idea that they talk about in this is the ability to use machines to expend energy for something else to solve the problem that we used to require human labor for. We used to require animal labor, labor for. There's a... Actually, I think I highlighted this quote. Hold on a second. Yes, for most of history, we have been limited to using human and animal animal labor to do so. Indeed, humanity's crowning achievements and the comforts of the modern world, extended life expectancy, resource abundance, and material wealth are enabled in large part by a discovery made in the last 250 years, one which unlocked another source of labor beyond mere humans and animals, machines. And that is where the true innovation of Bitcoin is. We have developed a system where we can garner trust, we can garner proof of an incorruptible system of money and exchange, by machines expending energy so what used to take authority what used to require violence control and top down enforcement is being replaced with computer power i don't i don't know how to emphasize just how revolutionary of a concept that is the proof of work of bitcoin is the integrity Of the system. It is the undeniable, non authoritative, non political, unforgeable cost of trying to cheat the system. The more energy it uses, the greater the integrity of your ownership and the ability for the system to transfer and secure more value. And with the fact that almost the equivalent amount of energy that is actually consumed around the world, is also lost purely to waste. And that's not, that's not just in like thermal waste or, uh, you know, machines that are plugged in and not doing anything. That's actually two-thirds. So twice the amount of energy is lost to the system than is actually consumed. We produce roughly three times what is actually consumed. But much of it is just produced at the wrong time Much of it is just produced where it can't be consumed. Theoretically, Bitcoin could literally match the world's entire energy consumption to secure the Bitcoin network. And it could technically do so without any new energy production. Just by sucking up everything that we throw away. I use the analogy... uh, In one of the recent energy pieces that we read on this show, that it's as if we eat one-third, everybody eats a third of their meal, a third of their sandwich, and throws two-thirds of it away. And Bitcoin is actually a way to go back through the garbage and take half of everything that was thrown away and repurpose it to secure our monetary system. Now, in practice, it doesn't turn out that clean, obviously. In the real world, things are messy, things are nuanced. Profitability in the short term versus the long term at equilibrium are very, very different. But nonetheless, I think that is a pretty powerful image that has a degree of truth to it in how Bitcoin can interact and be utilized within the architecture of our energy systems today. And they touch on this, uh, Caulfield and Celine touch on this in the article That Bitcoin is not merely a monetary revolution. And this is something that I came to terms with and really started to understand late in my discoveries or digging through, you know, down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, was that Bitcoin is likely to have as great of an effect and disruption potential on the energy systems of the world as it will our monetary and financial systems. It is ultimately that dream of those uh, the people mentioned in the past, Nikola Tesla, Buckminster Fuller, and these other visionaries from a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, who who talked about and saw energy as this base unit of account, the most fundamental unit of prosperity and value to human society. And electricity is that crystallize it's purified down to its most essential element and the effect that bitcoin being sound money will have on society the fact that it is turning that energy directly into money is just such a fascinating and super underappreciated element of what bitcoin does and how this how this all creates prosperity i love there was a quote um i didn't actually highlight this but it's in here right here somewhere yes today based uh, this is from the article obviously today based on the average american's daily energy consumption a single individual has the equivalent of nearly 600 humans working at his behest and without violating any human rights for most of human history each individual's productivity was limited to what they could achieve with his own two hands The machines the networks the systems that we are a part of and that we keep alive and that we make that we use for our day-to-day purposes give us the equivalent of 600 humans working at our behest at our beck and call without violating anybody's human rights the greater consumption and better use of energy and the better production of of energy for people around the world is exactly how you relegate slavery to the pages of history. Slavery is still alive and well. It's all over the world. And I think a lot of people seem to forget that, that slavery is not even close to eradicated. Like a lot of the modern world has made leaps and bounds and at least recognized the horrific immorality of this. It's still, still all over the place. You can, There are videos on YouTube, I shit you not, of just straight auctions, just selling people. Quote, Of course, the unfortunate flip side of this coin is the grim reality that less energy production exacerbates existing problems and creates new ones. It means fewer resources to sustain life. Less food, fewer economic opportunities, and higher cost of living. On a long enough time scale, it leads to civilizational decline and all the human suffering that attends it. An acute manifestation of disorder. From a humanist perspective, less energy is never the solution. Less energy is never the solution. If you take anything away from this article and my obnoxious rant that you can actually hold on to and take with you and actually apply and don't forget is that less energy is never the solution to our problems. And they sum it up again just a little bit later in my favorite quote from this whole piece, quote, all this to say there is no optimistic version of the future in which humanity does not use significantly more energy than it does today. Now it's getting a little late and uh, I have some other things I wanted to do and I'm starving. So uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. I have one last thought that I want to hit that is so cool that they hit a little bit later on in this article. But those were the things that really stuck with me from this piece and that I think are largely underdeveloped in a lot of the other energy articles and things that hit it. And I, I really appreciate and I thought they did a great job of hitting that concept and keeping that thread as the reference point throughout the article as they continue down. It's like, yes, you know, what is the context of Bitcoin's energy consumption? Why is it consuming energy? And of course, we want to go to a future in which we can use more energy to solve our problems because that is the only one that is prosperous for us as humans. If you want the world to be better, more energy is the only solution. All right, before I hit the final little piece that I just loved in this article, thanks to the BitBox O2 hardware wallet, secure open source, and honestly, it's just so easy to set up and use. Uh, I swear by this thing, it's just been a great device for me. Um, Highly recommend it to people who are new here. And of course, swanbitcoin.com, the automatic, Bitcoin-only, no-hassle savings plan. Buy every week, buy every day, buy every month, whatever works for you. swanbitcoin.com slash guy, get you $10 free, and uh, guy, discount code at SHIFTCRYPTO for the BitBox, gets you 5% off. All right, so the last, the last quote I wanted to hit um, that I think we'll probably cover again in Bitcoin Astronomy Part 3 by Dhruv Bonsal. I will bring up but quote we may well see bitcoin mining operations bootstrap new human settlements into existence is the ability to find any disparate or out of reach energy source and basically build build a structure and a productive economical economic system around it just like human civilization has basically coalesced and set up shop near all of the major waterways. We have been a very, very tied, civilization has been very tied to where the water is. Bitcoin mining and the ability to turn energy into a monetary asset may actually change the dynamics of this so much that we could find ourselves uh, reaching out to incredibly disparate and completely inaccessible sources of energy in any other way, and actually building a settlement around it, like like finding a river in, you know, the middle of the United States as you're you're trekking across the frontier. And I think that's just such a fascinating, like, storybook sort of idea that actually has a very strong degree of truth. So just something to think about. All right, guys. Uh, this was a hell of a long episode. Great read. Uh, loved it. Thank you so much for uh, uh, to Caulfield and Celine for this piece. Uh, I will have links in the show notes so you can follow them both and drop some major applause on this because I agree with the thesis. Bitcoin should consume as much energy as possible and by extension become the most high-integrity financial and monetary system on the planet for everyone permissionless, and controlled by no one. So with that, thank you so much for listening. I am Guy Swan. This is Bitcoin Audible. And until next time, everybody, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production and you were listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.